Welcome. I'm Lauren Rosen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm Kelly Frankie, licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is Purely OCD. Kelly and I are OCD specialists who happen to also be in recovery from OCD ourselves. Each week we meet to talk about all things OCD, one topic at a time. You may notice we try to bring a little levity and humor to our discussion around this deeply painful disorder, as this has been a very powerful tool for our own recovery as well as our clients. We tend to cover obsessions, compulsions, and exposures. There's also a Q&A at the end. If you would like, you can join us in the future. We meet on Mondays at 12.30 Pacific time on Instagram Live. And if you do find this podcast helpful, please leave us a review so we can gain more visibility to reach more people like yourself and help spread awareness of what it's like to live with OCD. Quick reminder, this is not intended as therapy or as a replacement for therapy. This is for educational purposes only. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. I am going to be joined here momentarily by Kelly Frankie and Jenna Overbaugh. And we will be talking about how uh, treatment and recovery can inform life beyond recovery and our overall well-being. Hi. I accepted. Oh my gosh. Hi, Jenna. We're here. We did it, you guys. We did it. Well, Lauren, I was trying to get it ready. And then I had a flashback to the last time we did a live together. Remember, yes. I had to like hold the phone all the way up oh here the entire time. Oh my god, that's right. I completely I was like, forgot. I really do that again. So it was like, I'm just going to get in this teeny tiny like position in my kitchen where I know I'm good. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, so we're so Lauren. happy to have you here. Uh, what, what was, what were you going to say something, Kelly? Uh, did you add? Yeah. I, it's, okay. It's happening. It's all, we, we figured it out. Okay. Got it. So I'm so excited to have you on today, Jenna. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Yeah. I, uh, Lauren, it looks like it's so nice there. Oh my gosh. And Kelly, I haven't talked to you in forever. I know. I know. I was just going to say it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So super happy. This is just a topic that, um, I don't know. I feel like I've been getting it more and more like what's what's a good exposure for this or what should I do during this like very precise situation um mm. or people will come to treatment and they'll say like oh yeah like well I don't have that type of OCD so like ERP won't really work for me and I'm like I feel like I wish I learned ERP strategies as a kid like I I feel like it's just so much bigger than what I feel like most people know it's supposed to be about. And so, yeah, I was just hoping to come on and we can nerd out about that a little bit. A freaking men. Amen. Oh, before we get further along, Jenna, can you introduce yourself for those yes. of you? Yes. Hopefully yes. people know who you are, but if they don't, um, I want them to. Yeah. So um, my name is Jenna Overbaugh. I am a licensed therapist. I'm here in Wisconsin. Um, so it's also really nice here, which is not typical. Um, I know it's nice over there for you guys, but not typically here. Um, and yeah, I've been working with people who have OCD and anxiety since 2008. Um, I've also been open about my own experience, uh, specifically with postpartum OCD and um, anxiety. Uh, that's a really nice compliment that I just saw. Thank you. Yeah, um, just ignore those. It's, okay. yeah. it's, um, al- it's always here. Yep. And yeah, I just, I fell in love with exposure and response prevention from a really early age. Like I always knew 
that anxiety sucked. And I always knew that things just got so much better once you ripped that bandaid off and you kind of just went for it and you did it. Um, and then when I realized that exposure and response prevention was actually a thing in college, um, I just fell in love with it. So, you know, I've always kind of researched that, studied that, um, and I've been doing it since like 2008. So um, I'm over on Instagram now. That's where you can find me, obviously. But I'm now I work at No CD. Um, so I'm the the image behind our social media and um, trying to just like spread the word about OCD and how wonderful exposure and response prevention is. I'm crushing yes. it. Oh, yes. Really. <laughs> yep. Um, yes. In fact, yeah, please go check out Jenna's Instagram page because she's got lots of wonderful resources on there and does lots of videos and, and the like. So, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I had a question that I wanted to. Oh, sorry. Kelly. Kelly <laughs> was I don't I wasn't gonna say oh. anything I was I just thought. gonna I was gonna say shall we start our conversation because I know you and I had talked about yeah, yeah I had a I had a question for I think each of us to sort of start the conversation around this which uh specifically if there was a like a skill that you've learned through learning about ERP learning about treatment generally, because I want to incorporate mindfulness and acceptance and commitment therapy into this realm as well. What's, what skill would you say has had the biggest impact, positive impact on your life more generally outside of the realm of OCD? Kelly, I'll let you go first. I can, I don't mind. I can go first. <clears throat> I can dive in. Um, okay. So I guess Dr. Reed Wilson I mean, it's not like a super novel mm. concept, but the way that he described it, I would go to two. I would go with two. One, that the content doesn't matter um, as much as we think. Um, and I spent so much time treating people like for their contamination concerns or treating people for their doubts in their relationship um, and not really paying attention to the overarching like generic sense of doubt and just the intolerance of uncertainty that people have in their life in general. Um and that's when I started to realize that like they and myself, they would just bounce to something else, right? Like that whack-a-mole game, it would just bounce mm-hmm. to something else. And so like in my own life and applying these skills to my own life and also helping people, I found so much benefit and being able to like go abstract and think about the doubt and how good it is to be able in everyday life to sit with doubt. Um, and that's obviously kind of my inspiration for the chat today. But then secondly, I think this concept of like doing the hard thing now for so that it doesn't get Mm -hmm. harder later and so that it can be easier later. I remember like even when I was playing heads up seven up when I was super young and I was super anxious, like, oh, my gosh, what if they pick me or, oh, my gosh, what if I get it wrong? And I was really anxious about that. Mm -hmm. I remember from a very early age even thinking like, well, I better do it now because it's only going to be harder like next time. Right. Like I better do it now because it's just going to get harder. Um, and so I think Our that kid. concept has been really helpful. Like it's, it's going to be hard now, but this is the easiest it's going to get. And le- like, if I keep avoiding it, it's only going to get harder. Um, so true. So that really helps me out. I think just constantly thinking of like my tomorrow self or the two year from now self, like that's why we have to do the hard things. We have to do it for that future self. Right on. Yeah. Those are both great examples. Yeah. yeah of how, how the work can impact. Yeah. I love that, especially the last piece, like we're the same person, right. But we keep, we, we think of ourselves as these separate entities, like screw that guy tomorrow really is what we're saying half 
the time, right? Sure. Yeah, good luck with future me. He's really, yeah. You know. Well, I think I saw a TikTok clip the other day of Matthew McConaughey. I think it was during uh, like an award acceptance speech or something um, where he said, he was telling some story about like, who's your hero? Someone had asked him, who's your hero? And he didn't really know. He didn't have a role model. He didn't have a hero that came to mind. Um, but then he thought about it and he was like, my 10, like 10 years, myself, 10 years from now, that's my hero. Like, that's my hero. And then 10 years later, he thought about it again. And it was still 10 years later. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. Like to, to be invest this concept of like, let we need to invest in ourselves. Um, yeah. and yeah, it just came back to that whole concept of like doing the hard thing now so that your brain can get the message for later that this is not as scary as you think it is that you can handle it and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you for those insights. Kelly, yeah. I'm interested to hear what your what your thoughts are on this. So how it's generalized to my daily life, uh, so many ways. So let me try to make it short and sweet. But I think overall, it's been accepting that I don't have control over things. And I think as a parent specifically mm. is you have this little human being that is like, has everything. It's in, it's everything. Right. And it just does whatever it wants. And at any second, something bad could happen and you have to just let that go and be like, Oh, they're on the playground and they're swinging and Oh, they could just fall and crack their head open. Well, might as well stick to values and let her just keep swinging. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's letting go of um, control And I think even in any relationship, right, like feeling like I have to know if they're upset or I I have to know if they're the one, it's kind of like, well, we don't know. And right now it's values. So it's always going back to values and realigning with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt that that's the most powerful concept for me. Mm. For sure. And again, like it goes, that's not just applicable and helpful for someone who has OCD, right? It's not like when you no longer meet diagnostic criteria, like you don't use that skill anymore. Like right. this, these are all things that I wish everyone. Knew. I know. I know. Well, it's so true. Yeah. And especially because part of not meeting diagnostic criteria involves doing all of the things that you're doing to get yeah, to that spot. To like it's it. not like that. Yeah. And then you stop doing those things and then it, you would go back to resisting compul- uh, resisting thoughts and feelings, get back into compulsions. And then you would <sighs> m- not mysteriously meet those diagnostic criteria again. Right. Yeah. So, yep. It's true. Um, I, um, no, I often, I'm sure you guys too probably run into this every so often. Like I don't know. I feel like I have to give people the motivational talk sometimes. Like this is not like the biggest loser. Like you can't have gotten yourself into a place that you really, really don't like come for like this hardcore three month, like very regimented, like very supervised experience and then go right back and then go back to the way that things were and expect for it to just, it's not like an in and out type of experience. Right. Um, I think therapy in general and also especially ERP, right. It's not this in and out experience. You go, and you're not trying to get rid of the obsessions. You're not trying to get rid of anything. You're really reworking like your relationship with these things and your confidence and your self-efficacy and just all of those things. Totally. But it's funny that you you give the example of the biggest loser, because even the biggest loser is not the, the thing that they make it look to be. Oh, for sure. Right. Like if you're going to have, I mean, I have other 
potential issues with that show anyway, but like, it's not like, oh, well, I drop all of this weight and now I'm healthy. It's right. right? There's like, whatever, like I said, bigger conversation, but there's also just the issue of like, of having a, a wellness around food and around your relationship to body is, is an ongoing relationship that you have to tend to. Mm -hmm. It's just who you are now, right? It's just a person who's very aware of these things and really wants to work on these things and values these things. Mm-hmm. And I think people get down sometimes about that. Like, oh, like it has to be such a process and like, it's ongoing. And like, mm. when am I gonna not have to do exposures? And it's like, you don't all like, you don't have to live a life where you constantly do 20 trials a day, but you need <laughs> to live a life where you like look in advance to something and, and predict like, yep, my, my anxiety is probably going to get in the way like this and like this and like this. And here's my commitment. Here's my plan. I'm sticking to it. I'm locking it in. And this is my, you know, this is my decision. Um, it takes like Lauren, you always mention like mindfulness, having to be mindful and have like a bird's eye view over your thought process. Um, and, and just be like, Oh, I'm going there. Like I'm going there again. I'm, I'm treating that like an obsession. I'm not going there. Um, and yeah, yeah, but, but that, that there's an exciting part to that too. It doesn't have to be all daunting and work. Like it just is, it's also really rewarding and really invigorating and, and hopefully we're making their worlds bigger, right? Like OCD wants yes. to make everyone's world very, very small and, um, it is work, but it's also like, you're going to expand your world by tenfold. So 100%. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and I, to add to, cause I loved your, your guys's ideas. I wanted to throw in that one of the things that was revolutionary for me in, in both my own personal process and in becoming a therapist was really starting to recognize thinking as a behavior. Yeah. And that was all, for me, that's where mindfulness becomes so, so important because having the awareness, but also having the ability to practice interrupting thinking and non-judgmentally, and then reorienting your attention towards something that's meaningful to you. Yes, it has a hugely important, you know, piece in terms of OCD recovery. But if I'm, if I'm meditating, or if I'm living my life, doesn't matter. I'll catch myself all the time, like planning into the future or like in an argument with somebody that has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with OCD. And then I'm like, whoa, wait a second. (laughs) Yeah. Hold up. Uh, but what Kelly was saying, right? Like that, that takes me away from focusing on my values and what matters most to me. So if, if I'm caught up in this invisible behavior, not knowing that I'm the one doing it, um, then I'm stuck and my life is super, super limited. So that, that to me has felt like a superpower in many ways. Yeah. For sure. Well, and I think a conversation that I've, I think is really helpful for people again, like not just during therapy, but forever is like, are you actually problem solving or are mm-hmm. you <laughs> right? No. Like I always tell people you'll get your answers from doing not by thinking like this ruminative cyclic thinking, like where you're just thinking about the same thing over and over again, and you're not actually making a decision about anything like that's not problem solving. And so, no. you know, I get a lot of people, I'm sure you guys do too, where there's there's like this justification, like I have to think about it. I have to like decide, I have to, you know, be a hundred percent sure. I have to think about this. 
in order to come to some type of conclusion or feel better. And it's like, but that's not functional problem solving. Like that's no. not you actually taking that next step forward. So even for me in my own life, you know, there are certain things that come up um, that are, are just like more real life problems, but still like can totally, you can fall into that rumination trap and all those things, but it's like, okay, is this, am I actually solving the problem? Am I actually right. solving the problem right now? Like, is this where I want to be investing my energy? Like, is this something that I can solve? Great. And if it's not something that I can solve, great. But either way, yeah. information is not going to help me get there. I nope. Th- yeah. And I think just to add to that is that when I'm treating somebody, I often say, let's pick like a few content areas that are not related to OCD and practice this concept of rumination, right? Because we can get so easily hooked into, well, this content's different or not even having that conversation, but more of like, um, where's my kid going to go to school when they graduate high school? Seems like a reasonable rumination process, but the reality is, is that's not helpful. Mm -hmm. Problem solving is helpful. Um, That's just one example, but I think it really helps bring this rumination process to light. Because I think when you're dealing with generalized anxiety disorder, you're really usually hyper-focused on rumination. And I feel like those folks really get it. So sometimes we start, I start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which it, to your point, Kelly, that's a, it. our discussion of how it generalizes kind of touches on something that the three of us had discussed outside of this in terms of what we were going to talk about, which is the the overlap between OCD and generalized anxiety. And so- mm-hmm you know, most people, I, I don't know about for you both, but most people who come into my office don't just have obsessions related to OCD. They have a lot of anxiety more generally. They have a brain that tends to latch on to things and to really want to fix and figure out and to be intolerant of doubt. Um, and so helping them to understand this difference between problem solving and rumination is really important. In fact, Kelly and I were just working on a presentation that we're going to be doing for IOCDF the other day and working on a are you slide. Going to, are you going to Colorado? Yes. Yay! Yeah, you guys. are too. Oh, in, per, in, the in person. Whoa. In person. I know. 3D. That is going to be so cool. Yeah, It is going to be way we'll, cool. We'll be really stressed out because we have five presentations. <laughs> you have five presentations for just that one experience? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah wow. But, oh well, gosh. four presentations and one support group. So yeah, but same. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's going to be, I'll be there. I'll be there at all of them. I'll be like, Whoop. yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, thank good. you. We're Will you be there at that. the 8 a.m. one? Yeah. <laughs> but, well, anyways. But, yeah. But this idea, it's, it comes up so often, right? This idea that like, well, I have to think this through because it's irresponsible not to, and there's something that I'm going to get. And it's like, after you've sucked the marrow from the bone, <laughs> if you, I love that I'm a vegetarian and I'm giving this, but like, right, if you, right, like right. you've sucked it out. Right. And you're like, I'm going to keep sucking basically, um, on dry bone. It does nothing. Right. There's, it's a very short window where you're actually getting something useful out of the process of thinking. And at a certain point it becomes pretty clear that it's not going to change the the outcomes, which mm-hmm. then becomes a waste of your time. So don't do that. That's no. <laughs> stop doing that. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Thank you, Bob Newhart. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, I, I'm really glad that you, you brought that up. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we all ruminate, right? Like, I, I don't think that this is, this is definitely not just people who have OCD. I don't know. I still just keep going back to like, I still, even with my, my, with my son, Kelly, you have a kiddo. So I'm sure you get it. Like there are certain times where he's uncomfortable with something like participating in a new soccer class or something like that. And it's like, that's a, that's a little exposure, right? Like that's a little exposure and encouraging him to like, I know that you feel anxious, honey. I know like, where do you feel it in your body? Like I'll sit with you. I'll hang out with you instead of like, I think if I didn't know about ERP, I would have like so many other parents have the tendency to do, which is like, make them feel better and try to, you know, reassure them that everything is going to be okay. And who knows how helpful that actually is. But it's like, you know, I try to teach my, my son some of these things every once in a while too, like that anxiety is not dangerous and that yeah. it's good to do things a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Um, so again, like I just keep coming back to this idea. I, I was laughing with someone the other day. I wish we would have learned stuff like this in school versus like, what is a mitochondria? <laughs> <laughs> so much more useful. I can't I believe you like, even I remember need, I need that. I need to know how to do taxes. I need to know about student loans and I need to know about how to handle my emotions. Emotion regulation for the win. <laughs> Oh, you don't need to know about the powerhouse of the, house of the cell. It's the powerhouse oh, of the cell. <laughs> That's all I remember. That's nope. it. Nope. Mitochondria. <laughs> well, they seem to be working whether or not I understand them. So I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Actually, to that end with, you know, with kids and, and with wanting to educate at an early age about all of these, these ideas, I think that that's such an important component to, to be looking at. I mean, I'd love to see it to your point in education, uh, in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, do you guys have any thoughts about that other than just um, that we should have it? That would be good. I don't know if you guys know Dr. Becky. I think it's like Dr. Becky good inside. Um, she's like a, another huge thought leader when it comes to parenting, so on and so forth. Um, and it was really timely. I saw her story this morning. She has lots of great parenting tips. Uh, some of which I try to follow, but like not very well. Um, But she had a really great story that aligns with this perfectly about how like she tries to work with her middle child who's like very strong-minded, knows exactly what she wants, but also has like deep feelings and really intense emotions. Mm. And she talked about how like she's not trying to get her child through that tantrum. She's not trying to eliminate tantrums. She's Mm. trying as a parent to give her child the skills so that when she's an adult, she knows how to handle letdowns about not getting the job that she wanted or getting her heart broken or, you know, getting stuck in traffic. Right. Like that. And that I was like, this is perfect. This is exactly what we're trying to talk about. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, I want the people who I see in therapy, I want myself, I want my son, like anyone who is exposed to these ERP concepts, like I want them to have the skills of mindfulness. I want them to have the skills of diffusion, right? Like not having to accept every thought that you have is true, right? Like being willing and wanting to step outside of your comfort zone little by little, because you know that that's what's good for you. Um, So yeah, I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts about that, but Dr. Becky, Dr. Becky, her story today was incredible. It was great. So on point. Yeah. I have to check it out. Do you have any thoughts, Kel? Um. I did, and it left me, but <clears throat> well, I'm I sure can, it'll come back. I can throw in something, and then I'm sure it'll come back, and then you can share it with us. Okay, um, do it. Do it. 
So one of the things that I think is really interesting based on what Jenna, what you're saying is the relationship between experiential avoidance among, uh, so in, uh, let me break this down a little bit for people who are listening, um, instead of just using big words. So uh, experiential avoidance is just a fancy way of saying that we tend to avoid uncomfortable experiences like thoughts and feelings and all that good stuff. And what they find in research, it comes up a lot, first of all, in anxiety and OCD, right? That's the main problem is I don't want to have this thought. I don't want to have this feeling leads to all these behaviors that begin to really negatively impact somebody's life. And so what they found in research is that uh, parents of anxious children, like children with, with anxiety disorders, their experiential avoidance, so their unwillingness to have thoughts and feelings, mm-hmm. actually predicts <clears throat> kids' anxiety. For sure. And so, which makes total sense because, it, you know, you're, when you're a parent and you're watching your child and they're suffering, your initial response, especially if you've been trained like most of us, that like, oh, anxiety is bad, is going to be, how do I alleviate my child's anxiety? Right. Instead of, oh, wait, how do I help them to accept their anxiety? How do I, how do I help them feel this better um, and make space for these experiences? And so, you know, if, if you're unwilling to tolerate the, the child's emotional experience, you're going to jump in and you're going to accommodate, which is something mm-hmm. that we see all the time in OCD and anxiety treatment. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> I think I, so I remembered. Yes. I remembered. It was about self-compassion Yay! <laughs> and validation. Um, but yeah, I mean, being a mom and seeing your, your kid dysregulated or scared or sad, I think something that I've noticed is my initial reaction is, I know you're scared. I know that this is scary. I know it feels this way. I'm here if you need me, just like you said, Jenna, is like what you you tell your son, but I don't think we do that to ourselves so often, right? Where we go, okay, I know you're scared, right? And that doesn't mean something bad's going to happen. And it doesn't mean that I somehow can do these behaviors to try to make that change or change the the future outcome. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think really just recognizing that children and ourselves need to be validated and seen and not just dismissed, right? Which is like, oh, well, I should just do an exposure. It's like, well, yeah, but don't be so mean about it. You can be nice on the way mm-hmm. in your little journey. <laughs> Such a really important point. Yeah. yeah. Like pa- reparenting ourselves essentially. And I think that that's oh a gosh. lot of what we, what we do, right? If, uh, my hope is anyway, as a therapist, that that's what I'm able to support my clients in doing is, is being yeah. able to do what Jenna and Kelly, you guys are trying to do with your children. What I try to do with my stepchildren is like, it's okay to feel this. Let And I can hold your hand while you feel it. I can't take it away. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel this, right? Like, let's go on a walk and feel this. Let's uh, have a sandwich, you know, cause it's lunchtime and feel this. Um, or let's have this thought, you know? So what a, I, yeah, you rule Kelly. Sorry. I had oh, to, <laughs> and yeah. to be, and I mean, to be imperfect about it too. Totally. Yes. With both oneself and one's children. And parenting. Yes. Cause there's yeah. times Jenna, where, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, 
okay, I'm done with this. I'm just going to deal with it. And for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember, I think I was in the car with my son the other day and he was anxious about something. He gets really anxious when there's a game of any kind. Like, I think it's the anticipation, like, am I going to win or am I going to lose? Like, that's really Mm. upsetting for him. And I, he says like, my heart breaks whenever I lose a game. That's really sad. Um, Mm. But I would even find myself like my husband and I, we would be playing Mario or like kids monopoly or something. And we would like try to make it so that he would win. And I was like, we can't do that. We can't do that. Like we can't make it so that he wins. Like that's right. That's like, that's giving him a message, but it's also giving me a message. It's giving him the message that like, he's only supposed to win, that it's dangerous for him to lose. And it's giving me the message that I can't handle his negative emotion. Right. And so it's like all these messages, like your brain is constantly picking up what you're putting out. Your brain is constantly picking up those messages. And so, yeah, like now we, it's a little exposure for both of us, but like we will intentionally, like we'll not let him win. And it sucks every time, but you know, it's like that Eli 10 years from now or like 15 years from now, I don't want, I want him to have the skills to be able to manage that later. And it's hard. And I will tell him like, right. well, we're just in the car right now. Like, let's just, let's just be right here in the moment. Like, Oh, I do that you know, all the time. <laughs> let's just be here in the moment. So like, as I'm preaching to Eli to try to be more mindful and like, let's just be in the moment right now. Like, let's just be together. I'm in my head thinking of like, okay, how am I going to help him when this happens? How am I going to do this? Well, should I have said that three days ago? Da, da, da. And I'm like, Kelly, I need to take your advice well, more. As I'm welcome. telling my son this thing. <laughs> I'm not even taking my own advice. Welcome to being a therapist and a parent. It's really fun in there. And add OCD in there for ourselves. And we're, oh, we're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Woo! It's a fun yeah. journey. It's a it fun is. journey, isn't it? Yeah. We can be imperfect. We can be imperfect. In fact, we are going to be. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm aware of the time. Um Jenna, thank you so much for coming on to talk yes. with us. This was lovely and um, always a pleasure to talk with you. Awesome. And, um, you know, at some point we'll have to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That would be great. Thanks, you guys. And we're, ex- we're excited. And if you're listening out there, just keep doing the hard stuff. It's good for you, not just for your OCD, but it's good for your confidence, for your character. It's, it's good to do hard things. It is. Heck yeah. What a great note to end on. Thank you, Jenna. And, uh, and thank you all for joining us. Yes. Go check out Jenna, Jenna Overbaugh, uh, on Instagram. It's Jenna.Overbaugh, right? Yep. Beautiful. And we'll see and, you in Denver. I yeah. know. Gosh, I can't wait. Like you, every, the OCD community is going to just get like flooded with all these images of like all these people I know. together. Everyone. I, yeah. I feel like we didn't really exist prior to the pandemic. And so like, we've always been separated for the most part, but yeah, yeah we're going to have to blow some people's minds and get like some videos going with everyone together. Maybe like a TikTok dance would be really cool. We'll get it. Oh, oh dear. I don't know if I can do that. I'll watch. You guys are going to be so busy doing presentations. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I'll be there. Front row. Front row. Awesome. Thank you, Jenna. All right. Bye, ladies. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Just as a reminder, this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended as a replacement for therapy. If you need further support, we encourage you to seek treatment with a registered professional who specializes in OCD. If you have a moment, we'd love to hear what you think. 
Feel free to leave us any feedback by reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. You can find past episodes on our website at purelyocd.com. Remember, this podcast is for you, so please let us know what you'd like to hear. We want to make our message as helpful as it can be. We hope you will join us in the future as we continue our discussion on all things OCD.